0: book of the Bible amen revelation 1 verse number 9 I John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ I was in the spirit on the Lord's Day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. The seven churches of Asia, we had the opportunity last year of going to each one of these churches, visiting each one of these sites. And so we're going to spend some time in the scripture here. Hopefully, if if we can get what I tried to prepare all day for to work, there was a glitch. But they're trying to solve that. And uh, this lesson will be much better if that is solved. If it's not, we'll just have to roll with it. Uh, But we had some. Great times in these areas of seeing some of these ancient sites and then looking into the Scripture on some of these things. So I want to talk to you for a few moments here tonight on this subject, Jesus on the outside. Jesus on the outside. Not on the inside, but he's on the outside. Jesus on the outside. Lord, we love you and praise you. We ask that you would direct us and guide us tonight as we open your word. Let it be an encouragement and a strength to us. We ask all these things in your great and wonderful name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you You can be seated. Jesus, on the outside. This beginning passage that we have read kind of describes everything that Revelation is from the author himself. He said, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in what? In tribulation, they were facing much tribulation in the first century at the writing of Revelation and in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ. So he was a fellow worker and he is talking about his inspiration, why he is doing what he is doing. He is writing under the authority of the great voice, which is Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last And he reveals to John what he is supposed to write, and he tells him what churches to send this this one letter to. And so he lists all of those churches here. I want you to look at Revelation 3 and verse number 14. Each and every one of them had different struggles. A lot of them are the same. The trade guilds and people trying to work in them forced them to, it made a very difficult on their lives in terms of commerce, finances, and everything. Emperor worship was something that was known. There were coliseums that were, that were built. There was everything surrounded um, emperor worship, emperors being gods, and everything kind of fit into that framework, including people's occupation. So it became very, very difficult for the church to stand up and be the church because they had to do it at great persecution and great sacrifice. Every single church has a different focus or a a different difficulty or a different problem. I want you to look at the church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 14, and listen to some of their difficulties and some of their challenges. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee, To buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him. And will sup with him, and he with me. These verses in the Bible can be somewhat puzzling, especially this passage of scripture, especially the phrase "If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth." There is a discussion here about warm versus cold, and one way of interpreting it is by a temperature gauge, meaning you're hot if there is zeal and passion and desire and commitment and motivation. But if those things are not running at a peak level, then you are somewhere lukewarm or you're cold. And so Jesus says here that he is going to spew them, speaking of the Laodiceans, or he's going to vomit them out of his mouth. And that's the traditional viewpoint. God certainly cannot use somebody that is not committed, somebody that is not passionate, has zeal and desire, and what have you, in their life. And so that is certainly a plausible and inspirational interpretation. And yet, having traveled to these locations and seen some of these sites and the ramifications of their geography, there is something else that is to be said. Peter says that when you're living for God in difficulty, he talks about being sober, So there are different states that we can find ourselves in. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse number 7, he said, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. So there's different emotional states in our walk with God that we can find ourselves in. 1 Peter chapter 5 And verse number 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So I would just suggest to you, by way of introduction, that living for God means living in the balance. Sometimes we may not feel on the mountaintop, but we're still living for God. Sometimes we may feel like we're in the valley and we're not operating at full emotional exuberance, but we're still living for God. Whatever state you find yourself in, keep living for God with everything that you've got. Amen. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're at the mountaintop, and other times you're going to feel like you're at the bottom. But know this. It's the same God that is walking with you. Amen. He will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. He is faithful. So living in the balance is what is important, and there's more to be mined in this passage of Scripture, and so let's consider some of these things. This book that we're reading is called Revelation because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and John is writing it from the island of Patmos. This was a small island 10 miles by 6 miles wide in the Aegean Sea located about 37 miles southwest of Miletus. The Romans used such places for political exiles. John's mention of the island in Revelation 1-9 probably means that he was such a prisoner, having been sent there for preaching the gospel. He says this, I am a brother with you in tribulation because of preaching of the word and the testimony of the word. And so he is banished to the island of Patmos. And there he writes to these seven churches of Asia. He sees in the very beginning, he describes this picture as seeing seven golden candlesticks. Revelation 1 and verse number 10, he says, uh, we read that in our text, and he sees in verse number 12, I turned and saw seven golden candlesticks. So there's seven candlesticks, and there is a son of man in the midst of the seven candlesticks. He said that son of man is clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and hairs were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire, his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, and out of his mouth went a two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. So he sees seven candlesticks, He sees the son of man in the middle of the seven candlesticks. And then there's this imagery of how he sees the son of man that also speaks some things like the two edged sword that is coming out of his mouth is also described in Hebrews as the word of God. And so the son of man is in the midst of the seven candlesticks and he has in his hands. He has seven stars. John falls at his feet as if he is dead, and he laid his right hand upon me. This is verse 17, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, And the seven candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So there's seven candlesticks, there's the son of man in the middle of the seven candlesticks, and there's seven stars which represent the leaders of those church, or the pastors, or he calls them the angels of those seven churches. John is seeing this, and Jesus is making a a point to him in the very beginning. When John is on the island of Patmos, it's no matter where you may be, you may feel like that you have been banished to a God-forsaken, isolated place, but I am the first, and I am the last, and I am alive, and everything is still centered around me Even though it may not seem like it, I'm in the middle of the seven candlesticks. Everything else around you may not look so stable, but know that I'm in the midst of the seven candlesticks. My faithfulness is going to be there, and I have in my hand the seven stars which represent the angels of each and every one of the churches. This is confirmation to everybody that is reading because in the midst of our persecution. There is a God that reveals to us that he is Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the first and he's the last. He has the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And so there is life in the midst of what seems like death. Praise God. His faithfulness is there. And his attention is on these particular churches And that also begs the question, for us, is God, is his attention on us as well? If there's a star or an angel of a church, is it that way in Bakersfield, California? I like to think that. I believe that God is in the midst of the church. Hallelujah. And he's got a star in his hand. And he's providing to us revival and strength and authority. Praise God. So every passage Has importance. Is it don't leave your first love? This is one of the church's problems. Know you're facing tribulations and difficulties. Hold fast the name of Jesus and don't align yourself to the world. Or is it difficulties and problems of idolatry and fornication and adultery that is plaguing the church? And there's also a message to one of these churches that there is an open door that no man can shut. So there is something specific that is spoken to every church of Asia. The church in Philadelphia earned from its Lord nothing but praise, but the church in Laodicea drew nothing from its Lord but blame and uh, discipline, if you will. There's not a whole lot positive that is spoken about the city of Laodicea. Now I want to show you a map. Hopefully, if this works, did we get all this? Praise God! Thank you, Lord. Praise! Thank God for Paisley Bradford. Put your hands together, kids, kid, and Brother Brock. Thank you very, very much. <clears throat> You're going to help us tremendously here tonight. Show us the first graphic that you have. That is, uh, it is a graphic of where the seven churches of Asia are. So you can see up the north part of it, Istanbul, when we traveled here, we flew into Istanbul, and we actually took a boat ride in between, when you're in Istanbul and you're in the Bosphorus Strait there, you're in in two different continents. You're in Asia and you're in Europe, and it's very, very interesting. So that's where we flew into. Then we came down here to Smyrna, or Izmir. Izmir is the modern name today, but Smyrna, that's the way that our tour guide pronounced it, Smyrna, Smyrna. And so you can see these churches right here, these seven churches, all kind of fit in this general area here. And when we traveled to Izmir, that was our base, and then we went to Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Colossae, Laodicea, Ephesus in a circle there. So we were able to make our way into that area very, very easily. This city, Laodicea, is in the Lycus River Valley together with Hierapolis and Colossae. If you look over there, you can see all three of them. They're right together in the Lycus Valley. And it was named after Antiochus II. He named it for his wife. Her name was Laodicea, and so it became Laodicea is the name of Of the city. There's another graphic I want to show you so that you can see the proximity of these three cities in the Lycus Valley. So the next one that you will see is uh, a river that kind of runs through them and they're very close in proximity. There's Colossae closer to the mountain, Hierapolis is a little north of that, Laodicea. You have any problems with that? Okay, so that one is, maybe that one's not there. That was one that you couldn't find. Okay, so these cities were very wealthy. They, they look like, they kind of look like the Kern area here, the San Joaquin Valley. There's a valley and you've got some mountain ranges that are close by. And in the valley, you have a lot of agriculture. It's very fertile. The pastures produced great flocks of sheep. It was a great center for the wool industry. It was associated with trade and dyeing of garments, so it was very fashionable. Clothing was something very important. It was a wealthy city. It was the financial headquarters for this whole area. It was the political center for that district. And then Hierapolis, which is to the north there, was known for its spas and its springs. So people would travel there, and they would go there for therapy. And then also Colossae, which was close by, it was close to a mountain range. And so people would travel up into the mountains and it had a very good fresh water, cold water source. So these three cities were very important. Hierapolis is not in the seven churches of Asia. Laodicea is and Colossae is. But it had some significance in its geography. They were very, very rich Laodicea was one of the richest of the seven churches. It was a banking center. Uh, When Paul wrote to the church in AD 60, the city was devastated by an earthquake. Rome offered to help her rebuild, and Laodicea had enough money to say, no, we don't want your money. We can rebuild ourselves." They disdained the help, and so they rebuilt the city by their own resources. Another thing fascinating about here is there's a lot of earthquakes that have happened. A lot of these ancient cities were destroyed by earthquakes. And Turkey is still experiencing earthquakes. In this southern region, more to the east is where they just had that major earthquake. Over 50,000 people died. This is recently in a recent earthquake, and they are still trying to rebuild. It's It's a major, major struggle there. And so this area is rife with earthquakes. But they were very rich at this time. They had a a prowess in medical technology. They had a medical school, and it was known for the eye eye powder that was exported in tablet form. It specialized in eye troubles. They created salve, and it was used as a miracle remedy. They were, again, as I mentioned, they were very strong in fabric production. High grade, black wool, glossy, soft and dark, from which the town's factories made at least four different kinds of garments. And then these were marketed all over the world. And so this is kind of the environment of Laodicea. Their main problem, however, so they had, really they had everything. And when you walk through Laodicea, the most fantastic city that we went through was Ephesus because they've rebuilt some things. But you can see the magnitude of Laodicea when you're walking through all of the ruins and you're seeing all that that Laodicea once was. You can see that it was a very powerful ancient city. It did have a weakness, though. It had a major, major problem, and that was its water supply. It lacked sufficient and a permanent supply of good water. And so water had to be piped in. If it was piped in from Colossae, which was up in the mountains, you got a cold water source. And if it was piped in for Hierapolis, which there were springs, it was a hot water source. And so by the time you got to Laodicea in this irrigation system, these calcium deposits would build up, the pipes would clog, the engineers created an aqueduct with vents and stones to try to clean it periodically, but it was very, very difficult to get cold water or to get hot water for that matter because by the time it got to Laodicea, it was tepid so they could only produce lukewarm water that was good for an, an emetic or vomiting. And so in this passage of Scripture, when Jesus is talking to Laodicea and he's talking about them being neither hot nor cold, it is very possible he was talking about grades of temperature, but it seems very plausible that he's talking about their irrigation system along with everything else he's talking about. And he's basically really honing in on their weakness and their weakness was you—you you, you have water that is tepid. It's not hot and it's not cold, so it doesn't—it's not functioning at its capacity. Now, I want to take you and show you some pictures. Hopefully, we've got some of these. Throw up what you've got next, whatever comes up there, and I'll try to uh, walk us through that. Okay, so colosse, this is colosse. It's very beautiful. You can see the valley back behind it, and you can see the mountains. This is kind of looking out. Colossae has, has not been, they've done no archaeological digs in Colossae. So this is what you're seeing. It's a huge mound, and if somebody would contribute millions of dollars, there would be teams of archaeologists that would go, and at some point they probably will. They would go and they would start digging out underneath all of this that you see, and they would find... The ancient city of Colossae, but that's all that you can see there. So we walked up on top of it and looked around. It's very beautiful. It's elevated and it's right up against the mountain range. And the mountain range is, is you can see it there, but it's also right behind the tell or the mound that is called Colossae. So this is where the cold water supply would come from. Okay, the next picture whatever it is that you got there. This is Laodicea. This is like the main entrance to Laodicea. You can see the ancient roads there. Uh, You can see the columns. This was the colonnade as you made your way into the city. Very, very expansive. Some of them were very small, uh, like Thyatira. It was just a few little remains. It didn't take a whole lot to to do. But this was an all-day thing. You could walk into various quadrants of Laodicea. And this represented, like, the main road going into Laodicea. This next one is uh, Meili. His name was Meili, and he was showing us the irrigation system. This is fascinating. So if you needed a lot of water pressure, you wanted the one, uh, depending on what you wanted, you could end up with either the one on the far left or the one in the middle or the one on the right. This was their irrigation system. The water would flow through that, and... They would put their irrigation system underneath the stones in clay pipes. So, if you see this next picture, you're going to see how this actually uh, worked. This was in a. This was excavated in 2010. 2010, they started excavating a certain area of Laodicea, and what they found astounded them. They found a church that was built probably in the mid-300s. There was a council in in, uh, Laodicea, and it was in after Constantine, so it would have been in the late 300s. So this church was built before that. And here you can see how they would actually do their irrigation system. See, they put stones on top, and then underneath is the clay pipes. So if something were to happen and there was something got clogged, you call the plumber out, you Roto-Rooter, but the way that they did the rotor router is they would pick the stones off, they'd cut out the clay pipes, and then they put in new clay pipes to make sure that there was no uh, difficulties or the drains were not clogged. Show me the next one. I think there's another picture here showing you uh, more of the irrigation. So this is under, you can see how it's underneath, but they would have access to it and so the water they were getting from Colossae and the water they were getting to Hierapolis came through these pipes and they excavated this. This, this was a major deal. 2010, they found this church. Don't show it yet because this was one of the things that really of everything that we saw was very, very fascinating because it revealed to us that even in the 300s when this church was, was built, there was an understanding about baptism. And so uh, I'm going to show you that, and it's very, very significant because at some point baptism became uh, watered down and it became erroneous where people started sprinkling and it wasn't a submersion. But in 2010, this group of archaeologists uncovered this church. I mean, look at this. This is still in very good shape, the, the flooring. The next picture I think is part of the tapestry that is in one of the main areas of the church? Yes, look at that. That is absolutely amazing. Now, can you imagine? Archaeologists went from what I showed you at Colossae, which was nothing but this this hill with rocks and dirt. They start digging from the top layer by layer, and they dig that down to the point where they dig all this out, and they actually uncover some of the... the, uh, the tapestry that you see in the stone and what, what have you there, it's still in very, very good shape. So in such good shape that they put a covering over it in 2020, which was right before we arrived. They actually have this huge roof over it now so that it protects all of this. And the reason why that's that's significant is you can see the irrigation of Laodicea. You can see how they use clay pipes, how the materials work together. And then how intricate the columns and everything else went. You can see the, the uh, roof that they built here. Now, my understanding is this. Archaeologists will dig anywhere as long as they've got money. So there was money that was donated from somebody or something, and that's, that's why they went to Laodicea, and that's what they uncovered here. And as soon as somebody offers money, they'll start doing it in other places, uh, like Colossae, which would be amazing. But this is Laodicea. So now here's this. This was really exciting to me. It was exciting to all of our group. Because when we stood there and looked at it, we we're like, wow, that's that's amazing. So the next picture, you're gonna see a baptismal tank. And look at it. Look at it. What do you see? You see that there is irrigation that goes into that. You walk down in it, and then you walk out of it. Why is that significant? Because we believe in the first century, Peter preached in Jerusalem, and he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And that baptism was a burial. We are buried with him. In his name, by baptism, so it is a burial. So we know at some point the baptismal formula was changed and the mode of baptism was changed. Because at some point in some of those councils, 300, 400s, the the correct baptismal mode and formula was lost. They started baptizing according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, in the titles, and they started sprinkling. But it appears here that they were still baptizing in Laodicea in this baptismal tank the way that they were supposed to be baptizing. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Very fascinating. So I showed you some pictures of Colossae. Colossae was not, I mean, it's beautiful because you're looking out over the valley, but um, it was not as impressive (laughs) as, as Laodicea and some of the others. But you could see where cold water springs and what have you coming down from the mountains, snow, what have you. You could understand that part of it. Laodicea was very, very fascinating. We had no intentions of going to Hierapolis because Hierapolis is not one of the seven churches of Asia. So we weren't going there. So I was a little disappointed in that because I wanted this. This, to me, Ephesus was amazing because of of its grand scheme of things. And the library at Ephesus is just astounding. When you walk around the corner and you see the library of Ephesus, it is jaw-dropping because they've recreated it. So it's amazing. But the real reason I wanted to go to the seven churches of Asia is because this passage of Scripture has just always – it's intrigued me, and so I wanted to see these these locations, and so I was disappointed at Colossae. I mean, I, don't, I, mean, I could see mountains, and I but Laodicea was really, really neat. I liked that, and but I was disappointed because we weren't going to get to see Hierapolis. But they had an excursion. One day they said, if you want to do something a little different, you know, after a while when you start going to some of these places, the ruins just Turn into ruins to turn into ruins. It's just, after a while, it's just a bunch of rocks. I mean, after a while, it's just like, here's where it was, you know, and you're seeing stones and stuff. And, and so, But they said, we could do something a little different this day if you want to. You can ride a hot air balloon if you'd like to. So we're like, yeah, that'd be cool. So we got up in the dark, drove out to this site, and we, we were going to ride a hot air balloon. And we got there very early in the morning. And everybody was loading up. They probably had, I don't know, 20 of these hot air balloons. Everybody piled into these baskets. And then we were off. We were up in the air. I'll I'll show you a picture where we were going up. It's the next one. This was an amazing experience. So there were some still on the ground there, and we're going up. And you can see that we're down kind of in this valley area. And then up above that, right, there's this kind of cliff and what have you? Well, what we I didn't know. Nobody told me up on top of that cliff is Hierapolis. Now you can I I knew we were going to Hierapolis, but we're in a hot air balloon and we're going up and hey what's that? That's Hierapolis. We got to see it from above. And I don't know if it's going to work, but if it if it maybe if it does Do you have video? No. I was going to take you on a hot air balloon ride. It didn't work. (laughs) I was wanting to take you up above Hierapolis. But we went in a hot air balloon up above Hierapolis. And we were able to see the ancient city of Hierapolis. The place where there's these hot water springs that are still there today. People still travel to get in these springs. This was so early in the morning. Nobody was here. It was just us. But on the weekend, there are people that flood this place. And they get in those, those springs. Same springs going way back to the ancient uh, discussion of Hierapolis and medical therapy. And people would gravitate here. And look. Here you can see the irrigation system. So, And you can see the calcification of the water and the springs. So... You see that trench there? That trench is bringing water from up above where the springs are. It goes down into a pool and then it goes out into to various areas. It's white, it looks like snow. And you have these different pools that people, even to this day, they'll make trips there and they'll get in these pools because it, hot water springs. And so, but back in ancient times, that was a place of. Of therapy, people thought that if you went there, it had some kind of therapeutic effect. It would help your body, what have you. And so um, and the water then was diverted down into this other area to Laodicea. <clears throat> so Jesus really kind of pinpoints Laodicea's weakness. Every church, he, he, he notices something. You have left your first love or you're battling things here, the trade guilds, and you're trying your very best. And you've not denied my name. But every single one of them, he pinpoints the weakness of the church. And, and, and that's a fascinating discussion in and of itself because every church then, according to the Son of Man that's in the middle of the seven candlesticks, knows what the weakness is of the church. Now that's fascinating because we could ask ourselves, what is our weakness? Jesus pinpoints Laodicea's weakness where they lacked, didn't measure up, and 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 where he pointed out the weakness was, you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, so I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. His displeasure was at their function as a church. If you were cold, Colossae, you could be used for something. If you were hot, Hierapolis, you would be useful for something, But you're in this no man's land area where you are of no use. You, you have a sign up that says that you're a church. But what is amazing here is you're not functioning the way that you should really be functioning. And so he, he reads to them their problem and then he gives the diagnosis. He says, you think that you're rich, but you're really wretched and poor. He says, you think that you're self-sufficient, but you really need the anointing of God. You think that you can see, but really you are blind. You think that you are successful because of your eye care products, but what you really need is spiritual vision. You think that you are clothed and you are fashionable, but really you are naked, you are focusing on your garments, but really you need to be holy. And so God is pinpointing areas in Laodicea where they lack. And there is there is so much truth to be said in everything that he has said here. Sometimes we define ourselves differently than the way God would define us. Sometimes we think we're self-sufficient when we need the anointing of God operating in our life. Sometimes we think we can can see clearly, but we don't have the right spiritual vision that we really, really need. And so God comes in and reveals to us some things that we need to change. And so he identifies their problem, and then he gives them a diagnosis of their situation, and the ultimate end result is You are miserable. You are in a miserable condition. The mood of the city in Laodicea has affected the church in that city. Every single one of these churches, depending on their location, were affected by the mood and influenced by the mood in that city. And in some cases, they acquiesced and they succumbed to the spirit of their city. I want to preach to you just for a minute here. I know I'm teaching, but I need to interject something right here. We must never allow the mood of our city interject itself into here so that it has an influence on who? we are. It should be the opposite. The church should affect the mood of the city not the city affecting the church. We need to have revival. Hallelujah. So that people are influenced in the house of God that go out and influence the city not the other way around. Amen. Praise God. That's just a a fun point because sometimes the spirit of the world can fog. What? What? Woo, we got it. Okay, wow. Hold on a minute, stop. It's not very long, okay. It's like 15 seconds. So go back to the beginning and play the whole thing. Okay. There we are. Okay, look, here. there's the city right there. You're going to see the amphitheater back there. See it? Ooh, in the corner. It disappeared real quick. I think we've got maybe one more to show you. Is there another one? Is that it? Okay, play it again, and I want I want you to see on the far right. It, you'll see it on the far right. You'll see the amphitheater, right there. You see that? That place would seat fifteen thousand people. That tells you how big Hierapolis was, and Laodicea was a bigger city than Hierapolis. We are way up in the air. This was amazing. We had some lady from Sacramento that was with us. I started jumping up and down in the basket and scared her to death. She was already kind of nervous. And so then we started jumping. And then the operator told me, stop, don't do that. That's not good. So then it kind of scared me too. (laughs) It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) So we got to go. We got to go to Colossae. We got to go to Laodicea. We got to fly over Hierapolis. And we got to see all this. The spirit of the world can fog the church's life, And that's what was happening in Laodicea is at the context and environment of the city seeped into the church. And this is much like the world sometimes seeps into the church. We got to raise up a standard against that. Praise God. We, we, we know the world's going to try to come in, but we got to raise up a standard against that. So that there's not an influence of the world in the church. Because then the church doesn't become effective at, at, at what it's supposed to do. You know what's been so exciting recently? Are people coming to this church saying, there was a lady here, I talked to her on Sunday morning. She said, I watched online for a while and I got enough courage to come to church. I said, well, thank God that you're here. She gave a name of the church. I'm not going to say the name of the church, but she said they just, it just kind of dry. (laughs) And so she's coming to church because she wants the church to be the church. I've already mentioned this. They have not missed a Sunday morning, and they're a great couple. I'm, I'm excited about what God is doing in their life. It's amazing. They met Brother and Sister Arius. They started coming to church, and they've, been, they've prayed. They've been here faithfully, and it's amazing. They were going to a church. won't name the church because that's not really necessary, but they said it was refreshing to come to church because at that place, you came in with your ball cap, your Starbucks, and you sat down, you listened to a lesson, no passing of the plate, which was amazing. Somebody actually getting offended because they didn't pass a plate for offering. Wow. Are there more people out there? This? <laughs> we got some more projects. For work. Amazing. No altar calls. He said, you know what? I remember growing up and speaking in tongues and laid it out under church pews. What has happened to churches nowadays? I said, well, I want you to know something. We still have Holy Ghost moves of God where people still speak in tongues. And the power of God moves. And the anointing of God moves. Praise God. I'm believing that there are still people. They're looking for the church. Where did the church go? Where did the church go? We can't let the world influence us. We got to stay true to who we are. Hallelujah. Clap your hands up. Lord. Praise God. Woo. Amen. That is so, so very refreshing. And I believe that God's going to help us Continue to do what we need to do. And we're, we're, we're planning and we're, we're going to launch some things to try to cover our city in ways that we've never been able to do it before. I'm excited about that. I believe God's going to do great things. And I believe there are people out there that are looking for a move of God. So the mood of the city, the fog and spirit of the world can somehow obscure what the church is supposed to be. And the most amazing component of what was read to the church of Laodicea is Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20, which has to do with the title here tonight, Jesus on the outside. Because in Revelation 3 and verse number 20, listen to this. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. What What is fascinating here is Jesus is not even in the church. He's on the outside of the church. They, they've become so... Uh, uh, confused with what they're supposed to be, their function and what they're supposed to be doing and revival. They're looking at all these other things. They're rich. They've got self-sufficiency. They think they can see. They've got all these products. They've got clothes and they're fashionable. They're focusing on all these garments and Jesus is knocking on the door trying to get into the church because they've kicked him out of the church and amazingly, he's still trying to get into the church. He should ne- this should never be it should never be that Jesus is knocking this is we, we talk about this and we say well Jesus is standing at the door and knocking as if he's knocking on some sinner's heart it's this is not written to a sinner this is written to a church in Laodicea Jesus is he's knocking on the door trying to get into the church that has removed him from the church this should never be the case Jesus should be the center of everything that we do. He should be the focus of everything that we should do. We should set him in his rightful place every time we come into the sanctuary. It should not be that he's on the outside, but let him be on the inside. Praise God. Let Jesus be on the inside, not on the outside. He's standing, he's knocking at the door, he's trying to get in. The church of Laodicea, he can't get in. He said, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll sup with him and he with me. There will be a relationship and a strength and an anointing, and Jesus can be in the midst, but they are so confused with the fog of the world that Jesus is on the outside. He's standing on the, why is he still there? (laughs) That's fascinating. They removed him, but he's still knocking. And he says in Revelation 3, 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Laodicea, you need to repent and you need to get back on track. Verse 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame. Amen. So the focus is. On all of that and everything that we've said and the geographical location and position of where Laodicea is and Jesus pinpointing their weakness, this really is his statement to Laodicea. You, in fact, are a church. You made it into the seven churches of Asia, so that's important. I'm outside the church because you've removed me because of your activity and the things that you have allowed to influence you. And then his point... With I'm going to spew you out of my mouth is you're not functional for anything. You're not functioning as the church, the way the church should be. The church is supposed to do something and you're not doing that. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're somewhere in between. That is valueless. And so you need to repent. Jesus is telling the church of Laodicea. You need to repent repent. And get back to what you're supposed to be doing. And that is influencing Laodicea. And telling them you may be fashionable, but you need to be holy. You should be telling them you think you're rich, but really you're wretched and poor because there is something greater than money. And it's called salvation and the redemption of God. You think you're self-sufficient, but you need to go back out and preach to Laodicea that you need the anointing and the power of God. There are people in this city that think that they can see, but you need to preach and tell them they need spiritual vision. Get back to the functioning of what the church is supposed to be. You know, we have a lot of. I'm, I'm coming to a quick conclusion. We have a lot of. We have a lot of things that we do. We have a lot of ministries. But if we become a social club, you found the second one? Oh, boy. Okay. Play it. Oh, I'm gonna hone in on the amphitheater. I think. Look at that. That is amazing. Do it again. Play it again. Oh. oh. Play it again. Go back. Go. Go back. Go back. And and can you stop it? Okay, stop, 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 Ooh. Okay, see that, so we're, we're coming up over that hill where you see all that white, and see that main road? That's the main road into Hierapolis. And then as you see the road coming in past that balloon, you see how it starts breaking up? So this becomes part of the city, and then as it plays and it pans kind of over to the amphitheater, you can see the rest of the city kind of built around it. So continue. stuff. Let's stand together. Praise God. I was saying, we have, thank you for helping us. That, that was a disaster and you made it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we have different ministries in it. We're trying to reach different demographics. That's why we're having children's church and children's ministry. It's why youth ministry, they're going to Magic Mount. That's why we have young marrieds and we have, we have men they have ladies. We're, we're, we're trying to reach all those those areas. But, but if our focus becomes on all of those things and not what the church is supposed to be, then we become a social club. And, and we can't be a social club. We've got to be a church. Church. Those, those things all come because Breaking a Bread Fellowship but what has happened in order to try to kind of relate to the culture around and the world around is, is, is people have started to gravitate into social clubs. Our focus has to be on, it has to be on powerful moves of God, strong teaching, doctrine, preaching and worship and prayer, Those, and holiness. Those things are the key elements. That's the fuel in the tank that gets the job done. And Laodicea's problem is they had forgotten all of that, and they weren't functioning as the church, and Jesus was on the outside. So <clears throat> let's continue this. If you out in the out in the lobby, there's some things out there. There's a QR code out there that has to do with looking at this. This is a big deal. We've already met once. We've created flow charts. We've got people plugged in. We got some very talented people. Brother Joel Reyes works for UPS. He brought me a map that shows you exactly how by, by little blocks and sections to cover the entire city. It's amazing. And, and so there's, there's, there's people that are really plugged into this. I, we had, I call them rockets. We, had, we were looking for maybe like 12 rockets max and then trying to pair up some groups. Those people are very, very important, and they, they, they do something that not everybody can do. And I think we've got over 20, not 12, but over 20. These are people saying, I, I want to be one of those people. There are other people that said, I, I want to do follow-up. I want to help whatever way. I want to do Bible studies." So on a broad scale, when we launch this, we're going to try to launch this right after uh, Resurrection Sunday. We, we are going to try to cover our entire city. Who was it that was telling me Vivint can cover in a summer with about, I don't know how many people it was, they can cover the entire city of Bakersfield? We're going to cover the entire city of Bakersfield with door hangers and going out in the community and making sure that they know we're here. Now, there have been periods of times where people have been, man, let's go, and so we all get here, and it's exciting, and and, and we, we, I, I remember, this is amazing, I remember we did this some uh, sometime ago at 36 to No. Anybody remember the rights? The rights organized this, and we did do this. I remember going out and putting door hangers on doors. There was a lady, this is amazing. There was a lady, and then you put your name on the door hanger at the bottom. And so, you know, if they came to church, they would know who who put the door hanger on their door. Her name was Myrtle. And she lived about a block away from the church. She came to church from a door hanger, started coming to church, was faithful here, then ended up moving to Las Vegas and and was in the church in Las Vegas until she passed away. It's effective. It works. And so we did that some time ago. We're trying to do it on a a complete another level here with. Uh, a lot of people. So if you go out in the lobby, use that QR code. Put your put your name in there somewhere. If it's, I think, well, the amazing thing was we had 20 people that were ready to go knock the door, and and that's great. And then we had a bunch of people. I like to do follow up, and there's some other things there. And then the prayer group, we had four people. <laughs> We need more people to pray. That, that, I know that's just an oversight because I know there's people that that pray. So, but it was just funny because I asked them. I said, "Okay, what do the numbers look like? Twenty people want to not. Wow, that's amazing. How many follow? Oh, there's 28 people. That's awesome. That's exciting. Well, how many? How about prayer? I thought the majority of people say I'll pray. Four. They had four. So I know that's just an oversight, uh, but. We want to link up with the team that goes out and pray for them that God goes before them. We want to cover them with prayer. Praise God. So when you go out in the lobby, use that QR code and and, and, and plug in. You know what's exciting when everybody plugs in and says, and I think Brother Jordan did it, Johnson did a fabulous job preaching and getting us to see that okay, I may not be that upfront guy, but I've got a place at the table. And we're not working against each other. We're working with each other. So it's very, very exciting. I believe God's already starting to reward us for what we're trying to do by sending us people that are looking. Thank God for people that talk positively about their church. That family that's coming, they're coming. Because the Arias family said, We have a great church. Our children are doing great. There's power, powerful moves of God. And that person said, Well, wait a minute. That's not what's happening where I am. I want to see what's taking place. I want to be a part of what is happening. And when everybody gets on board like that, praise God. Praise God. When everybody gets on board like that, we function like we're supposed to function. We function like the church with Jesus in the church, not on the outside of the church. Praise God. So get involved, pray, invite people to the house of God. Come ready to see God do great things. Let's have revival. What do you say? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing, your goodness, and your word. I pray that you would be the center of everything that we do. Everything that we do is not so that somebody gets the glory, but so that we give you the glory because you're worthy of all the honor and the praise, and you take each and every one of us, disparate parts, you bring us together, you unify us, and then you use us for your glory and your honor. And ultimately, when it's all said and done, we recognize it that it is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. We thank you and praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. God bless you. Greet somebody before you. Leave the house of God tonight. Have a great week. Remember All the announcements tomorrow night is uh, focused on worship. Young people, if you need to see Brother Casey about the Magic Mountain Trip, do that tonight. Don't delay. God bless you.